This is Declan Spring. Welcome to the podcast. Today's podcast is kind of a companion piece to another recent podcast where I interviewed uh, Andrew Butt, who is running for city council in District 2 in the upcoming uh, elections in City of Richmond. My guest today is Sean Dunning, who is running for mayor of City of Richmond. I'll be perfectly straightforward about this. I really like Sean Dunning. I was introduced to Sean when he was invited to give a campaign talk at a friend's uh, backyard get-together. It was abundantly clear to me as he spoke that he is entirely unlike other politicians running for mayor's office. In fact, um, he's not really a politician at all. Okay, so in the podcast, we talk about Sean's early and innate skill set in conflict resolution. And after a false start in college, how he followed his passion for conflict resolution to achieve a master's degree. We talk about the principles of conflict resolution and collaboration, no matter how large or small the stage. We go into some of the principles of conflict resolution and conflict resolution versus compromise or compromise versus collaboration and win-win. This will become clearer in the conversation. We talk about how Sean found his way to Richmond and how his drive to bring his training in conflict resolution to the world has often determined his next move in life and how his interest in political office really began to take shape after the 2016 presidential election, not because of who was elected, but because of how the country began to divide in a very significant way. We talk about how Sean made a decision to end his interests in working for a large company in favor of going it alone, we talk about the mayor's role and authority in Richmond in relation to other members on city council. We talk about an aspect of the mayor's role, potentially, that most interests Sean, and that is the mayor's convening power. We talk about the complexity of Sean's philosophy and how he's not a perfect fit for politics as usual. And the standard approach to taking a side on issues. Or as Sean puts it, he's bringing a process and not necessarily a position. We talk about how Sean will vote as mayor when the time comes to cast a vote. We talk about local fake news tactics, real news, news sources. We talk a little about social media. We talk about the limitations of the format of political forums and debates. We talk about Sean's running campaign, literally. He has run every street in Richmond in an effort to meet people and understand their needs. We talk about the chronic and stressful state of homelessness that exists throughout the Bay Area, not just in Richmond. And we talk about solutions that have been implemented, particularly in Texas, where Sean recently visited, and how 
these solutions could be applied in Richmond. It's a long conversation, but I think it's a very useful conversation. And long conversations are often the, just a really great way to get to know somebody. So there's a lot in here to hear. Uh, the audio quality, eh, it's all right. You know, this podcast, uh, I use a traveling studio, so oftentimes I'm setting up the microphones in less than optimal environments. Um, so this conversation was recorded at one of our offices, and, uh, you know, there were people working in the office, so you can hear a little bit of uh, hum of office work in the background, but I think it worked out fairly well. So without further ado, I am very pleased to bring you a conversation with Sean Dunning. Let's talk with Declan Spring. I'm here with Sean Dunning. Sean, I am really, really grateful that you would take some time. I mean, your schedule is so busy right now, but that you would take some time to come and chat with me on the podcast here. Sean Dunning is running for mayor. You're running for mayor of Richmond. Yes. And that is, you're like, a, that's just nuts to me because I, <laughs> I see how how much work you put in and how hard it is. So welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Declan. Really good to be here. And the, the election's almost upon us. What, what date's the election? November 8th, right? Well, that's the deadline, but the oh, way yeah. things work now, ballots will be going out in just a week or two here. And so folks will be voting between early October or mid-October and November 8th. Right. In fact, right. So I am, this is my first election that I can vote in. I just got my citizenship. Oh, congratulations. Yes, in time for this election. And I'm a Richmond resident. So I am just so pleased that you're in here and willing to give some time. And we'll broadcast this to hopefully as many Richmond voters as possible. I want to get a sense of your... I mean, running for mayor to me is just a mind-blowing thing. Running for any political office. The sacrifice on your personal time and your private life is just, to me, is just mind-blowing. So I have deep, deep respect for anybody who would choose to do that and just put yourself in the spotlight and the firing line of so many people. Tell me about your background and how you got to a place in your life where you want to run for mayor of Richmond specifically. Well, it does feel like a sacrifice in many ways. And in other ways, I'm just so darn excited because I feel like I feel like I've prepared my entire life for this and and I'll explain that, but, and I wasn't planning for this, right? But the way things are going, I've just, I've never felt so motivated to just go all in on something. And, and so we can get to that, but so yeah, what do you want to know? I mean, we can, we can talk about a lot of things. Well, let's start with uh, how you came to be a, a Richmond resident so that you could run for mayor. You know, what little bit of your background. I went to yeah. hear you speak, right? Yeah. It's, it's like a, a backyard, meet Sean Dunning kind mm-hmm. of thing. And I was just intrigued by your position in this because Richmond's such... I mean, it's like so many places. It's like the entire country. It's so divided mm-hmm. right now. 
that what you had to say in that backyard uh, get together with Sean Dunning was it was so completely unexpected really is and and so compelling and felt almost radical so so your background is not as a politician right yeah so what I guess I'll start at the beginning yes. and, and and just you know cut me off if I'm going too far so I was born in San Francisco but I didn't grow up around here I actually grew up in the middle of five children up in the foothills of the Sierra Nevadas, so halfway between Sacramento and Lake Tahoe, mm. furthest from any city you can really imagine. Mm. And never in a million years did mm. I envision myself living in any city. But I did grow up in a remarkably open place where nobody told me what to think or do. Mm. I really just found my way. Mm. And one thing led to another, and, and I went off to college. Mm-hmm. And I realized, oh, there's a world out there that is a little bit different (laughs) than where I grew up. And I was absolutely intrigued Mm -hmm. by just how diverse this world is. And yet when it comes to conflict, why it is that we can't seem to solve our problems when oftentimes the solutions are right there in front of us. Right. And so I can, I, I'll come back to that philosophy a little bit and how I developed that. But, but basically, you know, I, I grew up in out, outside of a little town of Colfax, went off to Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo. I started in mechanical engineering. Okay. You know, I was always good at math and science mm-hmm. and logic and problem solving. And mm-hmm. I loved just figuring things out and fixing them. And, mm-hmm. and, and, but there was another side to me. And, and that started, you know, somewhere in the middle of high school. One day, I'm sitting in math class. I think it was pre-calculus. Mm-hmm. And someone comes to the door and hands the, the teacher a note. Mm-hmm. And the teacher looks at the note and looks up at me and says, Sean, go to the principal's office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and everyone's kind of snickering. Oh, you know, Sean's in trouble. Right. So I, you know, I walk to the principal's office. And the principal looks at me and, and says, he kind of points to his side room, his office, and says, they're all yours, Sean. Well, two students had just gotten in a fight, oh. and the principal wanted me to mediate. And that was not an official role, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I found myself in, in, in that role quite a bit. And, you know, I can't quite tell where it comes from. Some would say maybe it's because I was in the middle of five children. Yeah. Uh, but the reality is my, my upbringing was just very independent. I was always just doing mm. my own thing. But I did find myself naturally driven toward helping people get along more effectively. Okay. And I've done that in a lot of different ways, a lot of different types of service. Uh, but when it comes to you know conflict resolution, that's kind of where it began. So here I am in Cal Poly studying mechanical engineering. Right. And it was interesting, but I got to tell you, it just really didn't feed my soul. And I, I, one day I literally opened up the college catalog. This is when it was all in paper yeah. and, and started turning the pages yeah. looking for a new major. <laughs> okay. And so I ultimately, ultimately I, I switched to communication. I minored in psychology. Okay. And during that time I got formal training in conflict resolution. Right. I just on my own, I went out and did a, you know, like 40 hour certification course and, right. and, and, and from then on, I mean, I found myself giving workshops to 
faculty groups, okay. you know, as a, as a college student. Mm-hmm. And I would, you know, I'd go to leadership conferences and present on communication and conflict. And mm-hmm. it just kind of became my thing. And then, you know, after college, I, I traveled the world and the organization that basically brought together 130 people from 25 different countries. Yeah. And we, we traveled all over the world and we, we, you know, we did community service projects and we stayed with host families and, you know, during that time, I thought, God, you know, these, these principles of conflict, yeah, you know, specifically around the sources of conflict and what we can do about it. Yeah. It's human. It's not one place or another. It's human. Right. And spending my time in that international context got me really thinking mm-hmm. about international conflict resolution, you know, mm-hmm. to the extent that, you know, you and I might have a dispute about, you know, the fence between our property line. Right. The fundamental principles of, you know, misunderstanding and actions led by fear yeah. and, you know, assumptions about what options are available to you or not, in some ways, not to trivialize it, but in some ways, it's not so much different than international conflict. Mm-hmm. And I, I really got thinking about that and yeah. and I was envisioning a future and a career in international conflict resolution. Wow. I didn't even know that there was even a field or, or any, you know, any you can think about like the UN or things like that, but that's right. not really what I was imagining. Oh. So anyway, I get back and from that year and I start researching graduate schools yeah. and one thing leads to another. I find myself moving out to Washington, DC on the outskirts, uh, George Mason university, which is in Fairfax, Virginia. And they were the first in the world to have a, a graduate program in conflict analysis and resolution. And that was only, you know, not too long before I went there. Mm -hmm. And so this was kind of on the leading edge of the theory and practice. And so I went off and, and you know, I moved from the Bay Area at the time I was, I was actually living in, in San Bruno and I made the decision to move right at the same time I applied Hadn't even been accepted yet, but I just moved because I knew I was going to do it. Right. Okay. You were (laughs) all in. And I moved out there and it turns out I wasn't accepted. Oh, no. No, I didn't have any story to, you know, I wasn't some, you know, refugee from Rwanda or anything like, Mm. you know, the the competition was pretty stiff. Okay. I mean, I had academics. Great. But, but it it was, it was a pretty small, tight program and and everyone kind of had a story. Hmm. So, but what I did do is it, it was a blessing in disguise because I spent a year just getting to know the area in Washington, DC. Okay. Uh, I, I was a substitute teacher. I waited tables Yeah. I, yeah. And, and I got an internship with an organization called search for common ground, hmm. which is the world's largest conflict resolution organization. That sounds just about perfect for you. Yeah. Well that ended up leading. I ended up having quite a career with them later on. Okay. But, but anyway, a, a year later I was accepted to the program and I, mm-hmm. I got my master's degree in conflict analysis and resolution and really, and that was, you know, 2004 that I got the degree and, but, but really since around, you know, you can go back to high school and call it 30 years ago or yeah. call it, you know, 20 years ago when I really started getting into doing a lot of this professionally. And, okay. and so we'll, we'll, you know, we can talk about the different jobs, the different things I've done, but really my focus, my, yeah. my, my sense of purpose for frankly, as long as I can remember has been, you know, working toward a world that works for everyone. Yeah. And wherever I go, that's what I try to do. Yeah, that's your ambition. It's a fairly selfless uh, ambition. You know, it's a, it, this drive to 
to mediate conflict, it, it's it fascinates me. Frankly, I'm 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 enormous respect for you because we we'll have to figure out how you came to recognize that uh, running for political office would be the the right thing to do for somebody with your skill set because it's almost contrary to I mean typically people running for political office this is what I noticed in the backyard conversation that I was invited to where you spoke is that the residents of Richmond there at that meeting they all wanted to feel that you had a side mm-hmm. right and the notion that you're somebody who is entering the political race not on anybody's side, but as 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 a kind of a conflict resolution manager, was was so radical that it almost left people a little bit speechless. Because if you don't have a side, they couldn't dig in with their fear or anger or whatever else. So that that really fascinated me. And as a realtor, of course, we study this kind of thing, mm-hmm. or we should. So, I'm, as you said, it, it could be international, or it could be just your neighbor. But the same principles, I'm guessing, apply, which makes it an absolutely fascinating, you know, field of study and and understanding and education. So when did you get to Richmond? So first, I I have to I just have to give you this quick example from your your realm of real estate. Yeah, (laughs) you just nailed it on the head that Uh that question of, you know, people have assumptions about which side you're on. So I want to get into that. But yeah, real quick story in in 2011. Uh, my wife and I were moving out of a condo and, and purchasing a, we're wanting to purchase a single family home in Washington, DC. Okay. And it was a, you know, it was a tough market and we're going around looking at places and, and we find this place that we really liked and it turned out there was a tenant. Okay. And the Topa laws were pretty strict at the time such that the, we were told that our, our agent told us that the title agency wouldn't even give us title wow. because the laws were such that there's just no way, even if you're buying a home for yourself, yes. e- even though legally you should be allowed to move into it, right. e- there's just no guarantee. Okay. So and you're basically buying a house with a tenant in it, and there's no guarantee you'll ever be able to move in. Right. And, well, of course, so our agent said, don't even bother. But, you know, my wife and I, both experts in conflict resolution, were like, wait a minute, no. Step one, can we talk? <laughs> so, Step one. So yeah. I was actually out of town. My wife did the negotiation on this. She went up to the front door, yeah, knocked on the door, and this this very nice woman opened the door, yeah, and explained, yeah, she's a tenant, and 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 my wife said, well, you know, we're 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 thinking about purchasing this place, but we definitely don't want to displace you. It's just wondering what you know what your plans are, right? And the tenant, she said, well, you know, I'm thinking about actually moving pretty soon. And uh, my wife said, oh, well, when? I mean, we can work this around that. We'll make it work for you. And she said, oh, well, you know, probably like September. And, and we were in like, I don't know, June or July. Yeah. And we said, okay, well, we can set the closing date for after the time that, you know, you think you need to move out. Would you be amenable to that? And she said, sure. So we got a mobile notary to show up the next morning. The tenant signed an affidavit waiving all the rights to, you know, basically stop all of these proceedings. And, 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 and our realtor just about fell over. He, he's like, well, you did what? Yeah, right. And, you know, he reached out to the other side and the, and, and, and the, the, the realtor on the other side yeah. said, what, you did what? And they both just shook their head. So, okay, I guess we've got a deal. Amazing. It, you know, and all, it's just a fundamental principle. Yeah. Can we talk? Maybe there's a way. 
rather than just starting with an assumption that it's it's just not going to work. Sometimes our mind and our hearts go to the simplest place, mm-hmm. but then something gets in the way of that, and it's and it's often some type of uh, dogma or doctrine that gets in the way of what we feel in our heart and our mind to be. Can we just talk, for example? It's, there are so many voices saying, well, no, we don't do that. Actually, what we do is we take sides. Well, it's, it's, if you think about just the, the world we live in, the society we're surrounded by, the, we, we don't get a lot of examples of this. What we get examples of is, is the litigious adversarial mindset that if you want to get your needs met, mm-hmm. you're going to have to fight that good fight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the reality is sometimes that's true. Mm-hmm. But if that's your default and you right. always start with a fighting stance, then you're never going to find those win-wins that are out there to find. They're out there for us to find. Yeah. But you've got to have that conversation to do it. And so, you know, I do a lot of training in, in conflict resolution and collaborative problem solving. And, I, you know, I usually lay out kind of five different options that anyone can pursue mm-hmm. when you find yourself in a conflict, some sort of struggle mm-hmm. to satisfy your needs in relation to someone else. Mm-hmm. That... You know, there may be times where, you know, it's just not that important. Just walk away. Just avoid. Just don't even deal with this right now. Mm -hmm. There might be times when, you know what, it's so important to the other side and it's really not that important to you. Just go ahead and accommodate. Let them have what they want. Mm -hmm. It might even help the relationship, right? Um, And then there may be times where maybe you don't have time and you know you're right, which is a bold thing to say, but you just, you're, you're certain about something and they don't know. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know what? You need to take a competitive stance. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, gloves off are going to have to do whatever it takes to win this thing. And mm-hmm. sorry if you have to lose, but that's mm-hmm. just the way it is, right? Mm-hmm. Hardball. And then there's, you know, everybody thinks of, of compromise mm-hmm. in, in the middle. And, and unfortunately, our politicians often put that on some sort of, you know, moral high ground, like, oh, we just need to compromise. Well, actually, I don't think it's wise to aim toward compromise. Hmm. Because if you think about the definition, it means in order for me to get some of my needs met, Mm -hmm. I actually have to give up some of what I want. And you have to do the same. And so you're aiming for something that you both know is not going to be fully satisfactory. So think about the logic of that. Why would you do that Mm -hmm. if in your mind's eye, you could instead aim for winning at all? And so logically, rationally, it makes a heck of a lot more sense to compete, to adopt a win-lose attitude than to aim for compromise. Mm -hmm. But there's the one, there's the fifth option I didn't mention, and that's the win-win collaboration. Yeah, this is the, this is the hardest, the hardest one because compromise feels to be the win, but but you're saying there's something else. No, there was a, one of my, um, one of my colleagues back in uh, at George Mason University would would say, you know, compromises for losers. Hmm. I forget who said it first, but we'd find. <laughs> and if you think about it, it's like, yeah, comp- you're losing if you're compromising. Hmm. Now, that's not to say that that might not be the best kind of part way status. Sure, if you're I trying mean, to get from here to there. Hey, can we at least agree to this for now? So it's part way. And okay. that's a lot better, I think, than, than just fighting or giving up, right? Okay. But, but in terms of the goal, the long-term goal, think about that notion of a win-win where everybody gets their needs met and go back to that example in the front porch in Washington, D.C. Right. Everybody got their needs met there. They did. The tenant was able to move out when it worked for her. So yeah. she, her housing was not compromised. Uh, it worked out for us to get that house. And it wasn't a sacrifice really to adjust the time by a couple months. Right. So it was a genuine win-win. But 
at the outset, at the beginning of that conflict, right. that option was not even visible. It wasn't knowable to anybody. And so at the outset, without any discussion, the only rational way mm-hmm. to try to get your need, let's say we absolutely wanted to get our needs met. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe we, we hire some high-powered attorney that's got some tricks that's going to, you, you know, intimidate them to, right. to move out or, or, or buy them out, you know, which is not necessarily a, you know, we might have to sacrifice something to do that. But, but you know, if you start with that adversarial mindset of, you know, you must lose in order for me to win, right? then that's the road it takes you down. And those mm-hmm. are the behaviors and tactics you display. But what, you know, what genuinely fascinates me here is that you saw the city of Richmond as a place in need of conflict resolution. And that is just contrary to why most people run for political office. Um, and, and, it's a, and it's a tall order, too. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, just briefly, the way I see it is the way I noticed those people in the backyard, for example, when, when I went to hear you talk, is it seemed almost to me like um, you have to change people's minds like you're, you're, you have to bring people to out of where they are now and first of all reorient them towards the, the possibility of collaboration. You have to educate them. You have to completely change people's mindsets. So it's almost like because everybody wants, I mean, everybody just seemed, no matter what you said or how you approached it, people still wanted to know what, your, what side you were on on every <laughs> issue. And it seemed like almost impossible, you know, to, to just be heard. So this, this really interests me. You get to Richmond when and at what point do you think, you know, it's time for somebody with my skill set to step in and make a difference? Right. So... In my in my career in the last twenty years, I've been to over fifty countries, forty nine states. I've done a lot of getting around and working with all sorts of people from all walks of life, and that led me to you know ultimately I, I was living in. I'll just fast forward. I bounced back and forth between the Bay Area and in the Washington D.C. area four times. Oh wow! Okay, and you know. And it was moving from one organization to another, basically following the need. You know, where could I make the most difference? It's mm-hmm. always been my it's litmus a vocation. Test. Yeah, but you, you know, I, there's only been a couple times in my life I've ever applied for a job. It's more about just w- w- the opportunity. Something shows up in front of me. I have mm-hmm. a choice point. Yeah. Do I go left or right? That road less traveled <laughs> yeah. shows up again and again and again. Okay. And I've, for me, it's actually a very easy decision to make, and I make it based on. That sense of purpose. Where can I make the most difference mm-hmm. in terms of helping people get along more effectively? Yeah. And so, you know, I was working in my office in El Cerrito one day in 2008, and the phone rings, and it's the vice president from Search for Common Ground in Washington, D.C., yeah. telling me, hey, Sean, we have an opportunity to potentially partner with another organization and do some do some work with some Israeli and Palestinian leaders. Okay. We're wondering if you would like to head up the project. Well, I, you know, I made the decision within about, you know, seven tenths of a second. Okay. And, you know, I took a 50% pay cut mm-hmm. and I, you know, packed, packed up and moved to Washington, DC. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, one thing led to another, I was going all over the world. I was working, you know, West Africa and the Balkans. I, you know, 
started this project on race relations in the U.S. with with Congressman John Lewis as my mentor. I mean, okay. It was just absolutely fascinating work. And one thing leads to another, and all of a sudden I find myself really deep in working with super committed Israeli and Palestinian leaders. Mm. And I moved to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So here I am going from the Bay Area to D.C. to the Bay Area to D.C. And in the midst of this, I moved to to Jerusalem. And, wow. and, um, in fact, you know, our first daughter was born there. Okay. And, um, uh, but then when my, when my daughter was, so we lived there for a year and a half, but once I became a father, I decided that, you know, traveling, flying a hundred thousand miles a year all over the place was not the lifestyle I was going to lead anymore. Okay. I made a very specific decision right. to, to resign. And, so instead of moving back to Washington, D.C., though, the phone rang hmm. at the same time. And it was the firm back in El Cerrito that I had worked with years before okay. looking to expand. And they were looking for a COO to, to really help them uh, kind of take things to the next level. All right. And, you know, they were in the business of leadership development and, uh-huh. and collaborative problem solving and, and uh, t- you know, team development and conflict hmm. resolution. And yeah. And. I, I tried to get them to say no. You know, I said, well, you know, I really, you know, I really am looking for a significant leadership opportunity. And they said, well, that's great. Cause we want you to lead the company. And I said, well, you know, I, I, I really have a lot of ideas about, you know, taking these, these principles and really expanding them into other sectors and really helping other, you know, people maybe who can't afford it. And they said, great. Well, we ultimately want, want the company to be yours. And so we had an agreement where I said, you know, forget about salary. Let's talk hmm. about equity. And by the end of this, it's going to be my company and we'll be able to partner with the state department and do other things like that. Hmm. And, and so anyway, moved back to El Cerrito mm-hmm. and that was, um, that was around, I think February or March of 2014. Hmm. Okay. And that was going really well. Mm-hmm. The, the work was amazing. Uh, the opportunities were really exciting things, you know, the partnership mm-hmm. with, with the business partners is going well. And, and then the election of 2016 comes along. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, there was this guy from New York that ran for president and people yeah. wondered what that was all about. And of course it wouldn't be taken seriously, but all of a sudden yeah. Donald Trump gets elected president and that the process from kind of the, like from the nomination, like from the primaries into up into November, yeah, I found myself up late at night, spending hours and hours on mm-hmm. various social media threads, wow. interacting with people. Really? And I found myself often being the only voice who was genuinely trying to get people to hear other perspectives. Right. It's like, I mean, you yeah. know, and, 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 and it worked. I mean, there were scenarios where, where people went from just attacking the hell out of each other right. to shifting to, oh, so tell me more about why you see it that way. Really? And I found it extraordinarily motivating huh. um, because I saw a lot of shift in perspective. I saw a lot of humanizing mm. rather than demonizing. And that's the role I like to play. Mm-hmm. And, but then, you know, it begs the question, okay, so what? <laughs> so I'm on, you know, I'm on Facebook at midnight and, mm-hmm. you know, it's not changing what's happening in our country. Right. But let's, let's connect this back to some thoughts I was having when I was living overseas and, and working all over the world. It, it struck me often Mm-hmm. That you know, what am I doing in East Timor mm-hmm. when there's problems back home? Yeah, 
you know, and I always had this kind of yearning to bring it back home. Let me, let's, let's, you know, if we want to change the world, we got to start at home. Yeah. And yeah, I, I respect that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, here's an opportunity where, so I, I, you know, I met with my, my colleagues in the, in the firm and said, look, this, this idea of me taking over, we, we need to make this happen. Cause I've, mm-hmm. you know, I've got big ambitions and like, we need to, mm-hmm. we, we, we got some problems in our, in our society here. And I want to know that I'm doing everything I can. And, mm-hmm. and, and they said, oh, great. So let's, let's, what's your business plan? And so I, you know, I put, I put some slides together. I put a plan together and I did this like shark tank style. Okay. <laughs> like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, you know, we're going to double our clientele within two years. We're uh-huh. going to, you know, expand our base of facilitators from 1500 nationwide to 5,000 nationwide. We're going to, you know, and they were impressed. I said, okay, great. Let's do it. And I said, well, oh, okay. <laughs> so I start meeting with them individually right. and it, and it, and when I, when I realized their vision for moving forward, it still didn't really, it, it, it just didn't feel right. Okay. I, I didn't feel that I was going to have the opportunity that I was really looking for. Okay. That's a whole nother side story. But so it, it basically I resigned. Okay. <laughs> I said, you know what, if I'm not going to be able to make the difference here, I'm maybe, maybe it's time to, to strike out on my own. Yeah. And I started my own company in there 2017. I didn't know exactly what I'd be doing other than helping people get along more effectively. I, I played with all sorts of different names for a company and ultimately uh-huh. just settled on, okay, it's just Sean M. Dunning Consulting. Okay. <laughs> I'm just me, okay? So if you want to hire me to be me, this is what I do. Okay. And you were going to advertise to businesses? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I set up a website, but the reality is I, I didn't really do a whole lot of advertising. I mean, I, I had a, a bit of a name for myself at that point and... You know, clients found me. I, I never really lost any sleep over that. They just, okay. I would get an invitation to do like a keynote, you know, for some conference in Philadelphia. And then yeah. all of a sudden someone would call up and say, hey, can you do a leadership training for us? I see. And, but what this did is it freed up my time. Okay. You know, I was going from working like 80 hour weeks as COO mm-hmm. to I have time to think and process and to, and to consider other opportunities. Okay. And in that space of time, so let me back up. I, I moved to Richmond in 2016. Okay. And, and that was once I knew that I would be settled here. Mm-hmm. So that was before deciding to resign, you know, from, from the firm. But I was settled. I, and, you know, we, we had been renting a, a little one bedroom around here. And, yeah. and it, you know, we had another daughter come along. And so it's like, okay, we, we need a house to live right. in. And we started looking around and frankly did not know a lot about Richmond. Okay. But we found ourselves in Richmond, bought a house in the North and East neighborhood, mm-hmm. immediately fell in love. Yeah. Absolutely fell in love. Never felt so welcome to such a diverse community in my life. Yeah. And I've been around. Well, I can second that because it's, you know, similar to my, you know, how I discovered Richmond too. And I'm just south of I'm South Richmond little south of where you're living but you know the community is just i love it i mean i just love it i i i i fell in love with the with the diversity and with the um it's just such an interesting lively beautiful place mm-hmm. yeah so i i i hear what you're saying i mean when, when we were unloading the moving truck 
it, it was like almost out of a movie, you know, like the neighbors would just kind of walk over uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah. introduce themselves. And, and, and all of a sudden, you know, we're, m- m- my wife and I were standing on the, on the sidewalk talking with, um, with our neighbor and their young daughter about the same age as our daughter is, yeah. is playing with my daughter. And my daughter says, Hey, come see my bedroom. And they run inside the house and we're standing out there on the sidewalk talking. And yeah. And it was just everything I'd ever wanted in terms of a sense of community. Yeah. And you walk one or two doors and you're going to see someone from, from different background. Yes. You know, and it, it's that to me. So the diversity of Richmond is bar none, the most valuable aspect to the city in my mind. Yeah. I, Socially, yeah, practically, 100%. you know, everything. Yeah. It, and, and I love that. I, the, you know, when I was putting together this, this video to try to explain who I am and what I'm doing, I just came up with this line. It just made sense to me that, you know, I was something along the lines of, I, I spent my, my entire life, you know, going all over the world. Yeah. And now I see the world in Richmond. Yeah. And, you know, for understandably, some people worry, oh, well, you haven't been here very long. But right. relative, for yeah. me, relative in my own life, this yeah. is the longest I've ever been in one place. I mean, in my adult life. Okay, so for right? you, this, this is... is I've, right. I've never been in one house more than three or four years. Yeah. And now I've been here already six years. I mean, this yeah, is yeah. me settling, you know, and I'm raising my girls here. Yeah. And, and so I'm here. Yeah. And so once I'm feeling this sense of being settled, I naturally gravitate toward wanting to understand more about yeah. where I am. Yes. And I just got into it. I just started going to every single possible, you know, gathering event opportunity to meet people, to learn about Richmond mm. and early on, even before ever thinking about running for office or anything mm. like that, I was just intrigued mm-hmm. by this deep sense of, of really, really remarkable history mm-hmm. that has its ups and downs. Mm-hmm. It's not all good, mm-hmm. but the result is that we have this, you know, 116,000 people from all walks of life mm-hmm. who virtually all have this gritty sense of determination that anything's possible, mm-hmm. even when they're in a place of despair. It's like, give them an opportunity mm-hmm. and we can do anything. Yeah. And that connects back to kind of where I come from, which is, we can do anything if we set our minds to it. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I wrote my, my master's thesis on, I put together a model that I called adventure-based conflict resolution. And it was really, it was, you know, this was encouraged by my advisors at the time. And, and it was about, you know, taking different aspects of my life and putting it all together. So I told you about the conflict resolution side of things. But then there's another part of my life that's been there since I was a child, really, mm-hmm. which is this you know, adventure based activities. Okay. You know, so I've been, you know, rock climbing for about 35 years now, Uh you know, I'm a hang gliding pilot. I do whitewater kayaking. Like, you know, some people look at that and think, Oh, well that's, that's cute. You know, but for me, it's actually, when I go rock climbing, it's not about the adrenaline or the thrill. It's actually Mm -hmm. attitude training. Mm -hmm. You learn through an experience. You, you, you look at something and everything about it screams like, Oh, this is not possible. Mm. but you find it within yourself to try it anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you know, you're on this precipice. You're, you, you know, you're just stuck in like, there's, it doesn't seem like there's anywhere to go, mm-hmm. but then you, you try and you make a move and right. all of a sudden you're still right. there. You didn't fall. It's like, yeah. wait a minute. Oh, that worked. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so you kinesthetically encode this idea yeah. that we're capable of more than we can realize. And that's true not just individually, but collectively. Yeah. And that's the basis of how I train, you know, when I when I do a lot of, you know, training and, and consulting, it's very experiential. Mm-hmm. I don't just lecture to people around these ideas. Yeah. You know, we I put them through various exercises where they experience for themselves. And yeah. then you apply that back into the to the real world. Yeah. So, uh, you know, connecting that back to Richmond, what I see here is a lot of challenges, mm-hmm. a lot of problems, and I see an extraordinary amount of unmet potential. Yeah. And I and that, 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 that to me is like the, the perfect set of ingredients to attract me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it, 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 you know, it's like, okay, yes, we can do this. Mm-hmm. And, and so then you look at, well, how are things being done? And you look at leaders yeah. that are co-opted apparently to one side or another yes. in many cases. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I'm not going to demonize any of them. I think everybody ultimately means well. Now they may use different tactics to try to, to achieve something. But at the end of the day, I think anybody that, that puts time and effort into you know, an elected leadership position, especially when it doesn't even pay a living wage. I mean, you, nobody can survive on what these positions pay, right? Right. <laughs> so it's like, okay, much motivating you. Well, I, I think people really do care. They want to help. And yet, let's go back to that sense of, you know, my way versus your way. Yeah. You know, compromise versus fighting, you know, win-lose. Yeah. And, and that's, it's all within the realm of my way or your way. Nobody out there seems to be thinking, Hey, let's figure out a way that works for everybody. Yeah. And of course, that's my entire paradigm. That's my mindset. And that's what my, my career for the last 20 years has shown me time and time and time again. Right. It's not, it's not theory. I mean, I can share stories over and right. over. And I did this just the other night. I took three hours and had an event where all I did was share stories for my career about, you know, yes. that time that I took you know, 15, you know, Palestinian and Israeli leaders into the wilderness against all odds. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what kind of collaboration we were able to experience to to move forward. You know, that time that I was, you know, a mediator for the Supreme Court of Virginia, taking court referred cases and, and finding win-win rather than a judge deciding one way or another. Right. You know, that, that time that I worked with a corporate board that was having turmoil mm-hmm. and they were considering having to shut down the organization mm-hmm. until we got everybody together and figured, wait a minute, we can mm-hmm. do this more effectively. So, I mean, it, I, you know, one yeah. example after another has sure. shown me this is possible. And then I look at the way things are being done in a city of extraordinary potential. Right. And I see that potential being wasted, squandered, and mm-hmm. we're all suffering because of it. And so I naturally just feel drawn to yeah. get involved. Yeah. So we look at the, so you looked at the city and you looked at the division and this is so common. I mean, you mentioned the 2016 election. I think that was really just a point in time where things really, you know, that division just really started to emerge as being, you know, the new, the future. And, and it's just gotten harder and harder. Right. So, so you look at the city of Richmond and you see that there's a genuine need for somebody with your skill set here, right? And so and so you you just you decide to go for it. But but again, um, I just find this incredibly incredibly interesting because let's say let's take so the mayor's role. Let's let's have a little civics lesson here. 
when when we look at the um, at city of Richmond, what there's seven people on mm-hmm. on the council, right? Mm-hmm. And so you see yourself as what if you get elected as mayor? Yeah. So speaking of civic education, a lot of people don't understand this that the actual authority of the mayor is is quite limited in Richmond. The way our charter is written. Yeah. Okay. The mayor is really just one of the seven city council members. So when it comes to authority, it's really one-seventh of the city council. That's it. Now, there are a few things that the mayor has control over. You know, the mayor presides over the meetings, over city council. Yeah. But again, as we can see, you know, many examples in recent years, if the rest of the city council wants to overrule the mayor, yeah. you know, let's say I, as the mayor, want to continue an item for two weeks and everybody else says, no, we're going to do it now. They can overrule me and do it now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if you don't work well with the colleagues, you can be basically completely irrelevant. Right. <laughs> um, the mayor also can appoint uh, folks to various commissions. Yeah. But the rest of the council has to actually approve those. Uh-huh. So it's, it's kind of veto power. I mean, they can't put someone in that you don't appoint. But they have to approve who you, whom you do appoint. So, but other than that, really, the, the the position of mayor in Richmond is 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 largely ceremonial. I mean, you're there to represent the city of Richmond to the outside world, and also to keep people within the city informed mm-hmm. and connected. And so, all of that doesn't really you know leave a lot to you know for for problem solving. However. Mm-hmm. What attracts me most to the position mm-hmm. is the convening power. Okay. And, and this is something that is not official. It's not, you know, legally mandated. In fact, you know, the idea of collaborative problem solving in general only works when it's voluntary. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm doing is I'm saying, as your mayor, I am committing, committing to using this office to convene people together. I don't have to do that. I could just sit back and be a partisan and, you know, and represent one side and fight the good fight. And whenever somebody votes against me, I just sit back and tell them that they're wrong and and the next day comes and goes. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is I'm excited to get started to inviting people to the table. Mm -hmm. And that's what I know we need to do. And, you know, some people say, well, why can't you do that in other places or or as a council member? And and I could potentially. Mm -hmm. But I think there's something I think there's something unique about the position of mayor that number one it, it ought to be you know the mayor ought to be a leader for the whole. I right. mean, even the charter says you're there to represent everyone. You're not there to represent one faction over another. Right. So let's live into that to start. But to actually solve problems, let's let's roll up our sleeves and get things done. And we need a leader to invite people to do that. Nobody's doing that now. No, there's just division. I guess there's, you know, there's always been uh, Chevron people. And then, then, you know, now it's RPA is is the big thing. And you're either with or against. Mm -hmm. And it's gotten just, it's just gotten so, so difficult to, to bring in a new vision. And this, this, I applaud you. And I just see it as being an incredibly difficult hill for you to climb because you want to bring a new vision, but everybody wants to know, well, whose side though? Well, what's interesting about this is, is consider what do people really want and need? And then what are their theories about how things ought to work or can work? Mm -hmm. And let me put it this way in, in 
in meeting people all over the city, it, when I only have a second or two, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have hours to have this kind of conversation. Uh-huh. And I'm trying to boil it down quickly. I say, look, I'm just trying to get everyone to the table without anybody owning the table. Right. And you know what? People eat that up. They love it. They mm-hmm. say, wow, Sean, that is so refreshing. It that's is. exactly what we need. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's all I said. I didn't say anything about we need to fight this or fight that or mm-hmm. we need to take this side against that side. I'm transparent from the get go. And I'm saying we just need to get everyone to the table yeah. without anyone owning the table. And there's a lot in that statement. But then here's where it gets interesting. Then once people get really turned on and they're behind me and they support me, there's no question that they support me. Yeah. Then they start saying things like, Sean, you got to take a stand. Mm. You got to fight. Mm-hmm. You got to, you know, you got to show which side you're on. Mm-hmm. And I just look at them and I say, well, uh, I didn't say any of that to you and you're supporting me. So there's a really interesting bit of cognitive dissonance here mm-hmm. or, or, or just where it's like people want this and yet they, can't, they don't have a they don't have a paradigm in their mind for how it can work. And this like, is now you've nailed exactly why I find you such a compelling person and and your you know your philosophy and your training is so because it it seems to me hold on before we even talk about what sean is is planning to bring as mayor we have to first of all educate you in his philosophy to get and and then you'll understand right so this is this is where i see it as being such a difficult thing that you're trying to do it it is very tricky and 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 yet I'm getting tons of support. I'm people are, are absolutely getting energized by this. And, and, and yet I still get those questions. I, I just, you know, the other day said, well, Sean, look, this is great. All this collaborative stuff. It's great. Yes, we need that. But I just need to know what's your position on, on you know, X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Yeah. And, and let me just say this, Declan, I, I answer those questions and I'm, I will openly speak about my opinion mm-hmm. uh, on anything. Okay. Right. And yet what I want people to understand is just reflect on where that question is coming from. Probably you want to know my position because you're trying to very naturally, very understandably figure out, am I friend or foe Mm -hmm. with regard to how you see it? So take any issue you want. You know, I'm for X. I'm against X. Okay, so people are asking me, Sean, are you for or against X? It's a very simple binary process to sort people out and figure, are you on my side or not? Right. And so when, I, when I'm trying to say, look, folks, I do have opinions, but I am not running for mayor to promote my opinions at the expense of others. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for me as an agent of your opinion, mm-hmm. that's not what I'm offering. Right. I'm running to, for mayor. I'm running for mayor to reconcile all of our opinions. And yeah. to the, I know that that sounds foolish to some, but my life has shown me time and time and time again, we can. Right. And that's what I'm there. trying to do. You've gone there. Yeah, so, so most, because with identity politics nowadays, just one thing, and then the local issues being another, you know, it's almost like you first have to deprogram people from, from the way we've been trained to think in the last particularly, you know, eight, nine years, it's like, you know, everyone's in a cult and you have to deprogram and to know there's another way like this is. Well, and I think some people are concerned, you know, I really appreciate those folks that are just, they're super 
honest and transparent and they share their concerns yeah. ra- rather than just people being quiet. I, I love the opportunity to talk to someone who has reservations right. because it, and it almost always ends with them saying, wow, well, you've got my vote, but, but the, the process to get there requires some trust building. And, and that's really inherent in, in this challenge is how do we build that trust, especially yeah. when we don't know each other. But, but one example, the other day, someone said, you know, well, again, yeah, this is all great, Sean, but I, I need to know your position on this or that because, you know, I feel like I've been burned in the past by politicians who you know, said one thing and then they did another. Yeah. And, and, and when I went, read into that, I realized, oh, is she concerned that I actually am trying to push something through, but mm. I'm just keeping it hidden for now? Um, and, p- politics? Yeah. <laughs> well, the, again, to your point, that's the way we've been trained to, to wonder and think. And I, you know, I can't blame someone for having that concern. Right. But hey, can we talk? Because I'll be completely transparent about my opinions on anything. It's just I'm not leading with that because that's not what I'm doing. I'm, I'm bringing a process. I'm yeah. not bringing a position. Yeah. And that is absolutely difficult for a lot of people to get their heads around. And yet, you know, let me say this. I thought I was going to experience a lot more pushback on that from the beginning. Okay. But the reality is that's, that's, that's the exception rather than the rule. Mm-hmm. Most people, you, you, when I introduce myself and say, you know, people ask, why are you running for mayor? And I say, well, I, well, so my background's in conflict resolution. Half the time, that's all I need to say. They stop me right there and they say, oh, we need you. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. it's like they get it. And, yes. and yet, and then, and then the, the other part of the brain that's been trained by the way things work, then they start to wonder, oh, okay, but wait, what's your position on this or that? Right. So it's, you know, we're going to find out. I think people can begin to understand about conflict resolution, but oftentimes that's a third party who's brought in. Here you're running as mayor. Now you're... Right. You're not a well, right. You're you're an outsider running for mayor, but you're not coming in as an outsider to be a third, you know, a neutral, impartial. It, there, this is I think this is where the tension is. People feel, OK, you're running as leader. You're going to have to take sides. And and I'm so I keep pushing on 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 this aspect of, of you know, of what it is that you're trying to do, because it, it's just that, you know, again, when I saw people chatting with you and it, it's people just eventually get in a conversation with themselves. They just, they just seem to come back. Will you, at some point you will have to take a side. Like people just want, right. It's just at some point might be the point at which you have to vote on something, right? Right. Because a vote is a binary process, right? There's no room for any more opinions there. It's like, it's something that's going to be voted up or down. It's very objective. Right. Here's what I have to say about that. By the time something is agendized on city council mm-hmm. and comes to a vote, mm-hmm. my belief is that that should be the very end of a long process. The city council meeting is not the time to do this collaborative problem solving that I'm talking about. Okay. If we do this well, so mm-hmm. for example, let's say there's this major issue coming, we all know about it. If the work is being done to get people to the table mm-hmm. and really dig into it and really find out why do you have that position? Why do you have that position? Mm-hmm. Is there a way we can work forward so that everybody's needs would be met? You know, mm-hmm. if we do that work in mm-hmm. a genuine collaborative way, then what we're doing is actually generating a win-win proposition. Mm-hmm. And that's what goes on to the 
the agenda. Mm-hmm. And so when okay. we come to that Tuesday night to vote on it, mm-hmm. if we've done our work well, it's going to be overwhelming consensus. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a technicality to, to simply make it official. I understand. The city council meeting is not the time right. to actually try to collaborate. And so, people sometimes get that confused. I understand. So this gets back to what you were talking about earlier, that convening power. Yeah. And, and so being able to get the work done by insisting that the work gets done so that, as you said, right. council you know, but, finally comes to vote, it's almost just... But I want to go back to this you know, taking sides piece. So here, here's, here's the, the litmus test or, or the, the rubric that I would follow. Number one, where there's an issue, we get everyone together, we listen, we dig into it, we try to come up with creative ways that solves everybody's needs, right? Mm-hmm. We build as much consensus as possible. As possible. So mm-hmm. it depends on how much time we have, how many resources we have, but, mm-hmm. but the, the, the day comes when we have to vote. Mm-hmm. What I am committing to doing is representing the majority of Richmond residents. Mm-hmm. So that is the side I'm going to take. Mm-hmm. But it's not. I'm not just just simply sitting back and taking the side of the majority. Take okay. for example. Let's just let's just talk about a really contentious issue like police funding. Yes. Right. Now, right now, the overwhelming nobody can challenge this. I mean, they can say it, but you know, having having met with over four thousand people from all walks of life in every single neighborhood in the city, I can tell you very confidently that the overwhelming majority of Richmond residents mm-hmm. want to see more police services, not, yeah. not less. I'm yeah. one of those residents. Yeah. Well, welcome to the club. Yeah. <laughs> so I could just simply sit back on that and say, you know, anytime there's a vote up or down on police funding, I just vote for it, but I don't do any work. And no disrespect, but that's what you'll see in some of our current leaders mm-hmm. who are against reducing the police funding. Mm-hmm. That you know, and so you, you can stand against it, mm-hmm. you know, you can stand for or against something, but that is not doing work, that's just simply expressing an opinion. What I'm suggesting here is that when the issue comes up, mm-hmm. roll up your sleeves, let's get people to the table, let's really work on this, let's try to find a way mm-hmm. so that the folks. You know, you know, those who are, are saying we, we should reduce the police budget, they have very legitimate concerns and perspectives mm-hmm. that ought to be listened to. Mm-hmm. I question whether simply reducing the budget last year mm-hmm. actually addressed the needs of those people. Mm-hmm. Right. So even though I stand with the majority in terms of how I will vote, mm-hmm. I'm simultaneously saying, wait a minute, let's make the proposal more than just simply changing the budget. Let's mm-hmm. actually make sure it addresses all the needs. Let's yeah. get closer to a win-win. Mm-hmm. And just as a quick aside, you know, last year, I think there could have been a win-win that could have been derived such mm-hmm. that the police budget was not affected, mm-hmm. but the other programs that people wanted to see were supported. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, the concerns that people had about the police also addressed in various confidence measures you know, around, well, let's look deeper into this or let's mm-hmm. make sure we have, um, you know, some accountability here or there. The, the, the point being, uh, we should do everything we can to work toward a win-win solution. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, when it comes to a vote, I will vote with the majority. So if you want to know where I stand on an issue, mm-hmm. just simply figure out where the majority is. Now, some people will <laughs> then challenge that and say, oh, Sean, but, you know, what about Nazi Germany? And, you know, that's a total straw man argument. Always. And, and uh, you know, I, it's like, that's not what we're dealing with, folks. 
And if you do, you want to ask me a, a a moral question test, go ahead. I'll answer any question you have. But that's kind of silly. That's not what we're dealing with, mm-hmm. right? And and in fact, you know, my opponent last year, you you know, actually said specifically that he knew not he knew the overwhelming. He, he he acknowledged what I'm telling you. He said, as your representative, I should not vote this way. Meaning. You know, if I'm representing you and I know that you don't want to reduce the budget, I should not vote to redo the, reduce the budget. But I'm yeah. going to anyway because yeah. I'm your leader. And I honestly, I found that really offensive. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, that was, I think, one of the moments that I thought about okay. running for mayor. You just explained to me perfectly wh- which side you're on. And it gets back to your campaign slogan, really, which, uh, which is... Your Richmond, your voice. Yeah. Right. I wonder if you notice, and I hope people do, that th- there's a big difference between saying our Richmond, our voice. Uh-huh. And your Richmond, your voice. Yeah. Do, do you see the difference? Yeah, I do see the difference. I was very intentional about that. Because I like if, that. If, if if you read something that says our, then you gotta wonder, well, wait a minute. Right. Who are you talking about? Right. Is it your group, your party, your tribe, your you know, well, yeah, but that's when I right. say your, anybody who receives that message right. is included. I'm a little jaded. Everything you need to know about politics is in Game of Thrones. I, I wanted to just talk to you about this because I, I got this in the mail yesterday and it's the Richmond Community News. Oh, right? boy. N- newspaper. It looks like a newspaper. It looks right? like a newspaper. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. and, and Sure does. And it's I'm got like, the whole banner up there. It yeah. looks very much like it's laid out like a newspaper. And I thought, this is great. Richmond Community News. I thought, you know, well, this is wonderful. Who started this? And I see it's the third edition. And immediately thought, oh, a third edition in an election year. Okay. I got cynical, right, fairly quickly. So I tried to scan all around it at Richmond Community News and... Who's funding this thing? Like, where's this newspaper coming from? And I'm only questioning that because I get to vote this year. If, if I couldn't vote, I might have just taken that this was a legitimate news source. But it, so anyway, here it is. And then I start reading it. And then I realize, oh, these aren't headlines. These aren't the headlines you would read from a, a, an impartial publication, you know. That, and, it's, and it's just so... And then I, you know, okay, so I figured out where the funding is coming from for this. And it's really just, uh, you know, it is the very epitome of false news, right? It is. I, I think if it, it seems to me that that would qualify for fake news. Absolutely. Right. Because it's an opinion from a very specific group masquerading as a newspaper. Well, go back to what I just said about our versus yours. Right. The word community is right there on the top, right? Right. My question is, which community are they referring to? Because if it's all 116,000 residents of Richmond, that's what I think of when I think of community. Right. And yes, you can have various sub-communities within that. Absolutely. Like my neighborhood is a community. Your neighborhood is a community. Right. But when I say the Richmond community, I really mean everyone. Yeah. And so does that you know, publication refer or, or represent the opinions or perspectives of everyone? No, it's, so it's, it doesn't it's, seem to be, does it? No, I find it very, very distasteful. Like this is enough for me to just be. But now imagine if you had just moved here yes, and you saw that and I'll, you know, go back to, to 2016. I got something in the mail. I think it was called the Richmond Sun. It's the same group. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is amazing. We have a local newspaper. This right. is great. Yes. Because, wow, we're just so disconnected. Isn't it fantastic to have a local newspaper? And it didn't take me long 
Fortunately, I have some basic critical thinking skills, and I was yeah. able to read through this and go, uh, yeah, this sure seems a little slanted. But I can easily see how many people could be duped by that. And I find that sad, disingenuous. It is. It's I mean, sneaky. if you want to, I mean, by all means, I am a huge advocate of free speech. Yeah. Absolutely. Put your opinions out there. Debate. Tell me why I'm wrong. Tell me why you're right. Let's do it. But can you at least be transparent about you know, whom you represent? Yeah. And you know, this is, you look at the fundamental tenets of democracy, and it only works when people are informed. Mm-hmm. And if and what's what that's doing is misleading. Well, you know, so so there's an element in Richmond politics that just a, a bait and switch. Yeah, but I want to be clear that that whoever's behind that, I want, I do believe their voices matter. Yeah, and I will I will defend that. I don't want to run them out of town. I just don't want them to pretend or actually own the town. I, right. I want them at the table. I just don't want them to own the table. And moreover, I want to make sure someone is at the table who sees it differently as well. Because if we're going to solve our problems, we all need to get to a point where we all can believe in something. And with that kind of approach, all that does is divide people. It drives a wedge. And it's just an organized way to have a a war. It may be a nonviolent war, but it's still this fighting adversarial mindset of my way versus your way. I saw that that came out. Some other people posted it. I didn't get one, so they must have taken my address off their list or something. Oh, or maybe, maybe maybe it just didn't show up in time. But yeah. um, so I, you know, I don't even know uh, what what's in that yet. Even in Richmond, I mean, this drives me crazy. The fact that we we don't have a daily news source that everybody sees. Right. You know, when I grew up, it, you know, up in up in the middle of nowhere, foothills of the Sierra Nevadas, you know, the, it was the Auburn Journal newspaper, right? Yeah. And and we got it every morning. And even Colfax had one called the Colfax Record, and it would come out, I think, every Wednesday. Yeah. But I could not eat my cereal in the morning without that bowl being on top of the newspaper. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I, even even if I had to get a bowl of cereal in the afternoon, I'd grab a newspaper underneath. Like, yeah. I would read. And the thing is, when you're reading the daily newspaper in a community, mm-hmm. and there's a sense that everybody else is reading it, mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of liter- literally, figuratively, on the same page. Mm-hmm. Now, you can then debate what you read. You can say why it's wrong or right or whatever, but at least you all are talking about the same thing. Yeah. We don't have anything like that. No, now. we have echo chambers yeah. and, and outrage is promoted and rewarded right. because the social media platforms right, are curated in such a way that you know it all gets down to clicks and you know the economics yeah. and, and what's rewarded is outrage because it seems to work because fear... Fear will get people going. It, it does. It, it triggers that amygdala response in your brain, and and it, and it and it gets the juices flowing. And yeah, you and, get pulled in for survival, and you don't even know what's happening. So when you look at you know, if you want to find out what's going on in Richmond, you know, there's a couple different Facebook groups. Of course, you know, some would say they're slanted in various ways. There's next door. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, Instagram and Snapchat and what else, and you, right. you know, there's all these different channels, but. By no means are we all on the same channel. How have things gone for you, you know, at mayor's debate? Uh, we've all been, you know, pretty civil. I, I think, you know, we hear the same things over and over about what you would expect. You know, it's difficult to talk about these things in sound bites, right? I know I'm, I'm being, you know, long-winded probably in a lot of this discussion right now. Yeah. But 
people want to know about your perspectives on things and you have you know one minute to respond. Mm. And so it's like, I could do that, you know, and I, I think I do it fairly well. Mm. But what I would really like to do is, is have like a forum on one topic. Okay, let's talk mm. about public safety for the whole hour mm-hmm. rather than cover 15 different one minute questions on all the hot topics. It is astonishing that we're, you're expected to condense everything there is to know about what you know and what you want to do about it into like a minute soundbite. It's crazy. Well, it kind of feeds back to what we were talking about earlier about the people's need to know where your position is. Yeah. So in some ways, it's nothing but a sorting mechanism to figure yeah. out, oh, are yes. you for or against this, for or against that? Oh, that's and it's so like, well put. you know, we can do that, but so what? How are, you know, I think the question we ought to be asking is, so let's say you're for this. Okay. How do we get from here to there? Yeah. Let's, and, and you know, the reality is that takes a little bit more discussion. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that drives people crazy is sometimes I will say, look, here, here's my idea now based on what we know. But really, I believe the best solution is yet to be found. Again, remember that win, that realm of win-win. Mm-hmm. You have to believe it's out there, mm-hmm. but you have to work together to find it. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is I'm inviting people together to find it, mm-hmm. but they want me to tell them what it is now. Right. People, as you said, people, it's, it's like a, it's like a, the sorting hat from Harry Potter. You know, when you have a, a forum like that and very little time to address anything, people are deaf. Yeah. They're just listening to hear, to hear you validate the side that they're, you know, that mm-hmm. they're on and then, okay, you're my guy, you know, because and, and that's just, there's, there's, so the, you know, there's a forum coming up tonight. I'm, I'm told there's going to be like a rapid fire. Yes. No, you know, series right. of questions. And, you know, I anticipate, we'll, we'll see what the record shows. I, I anticipate there'll probably be a question like, do you support, do you support hiring more police? Right. Or do you support, um, let, let's say if the question is, do you support, Defunding our police. Of course, it's a loaded question because people right. don't like that word for a number of reasons. But let's say the question is, do you support defunding the police? Well, I, I don't have to think about that. I can very quickly say, no, I don't support that. But what we really ought to be talking about is the why. Right. Well, well the whole question itself is couched in identity politics. I yes. Mean, you know, it, the, the, the whole defund the police emerged from from the problem of identity politics. It's not useful for society, really. You know, the beauty of true, genuine, collaborative problem solving Mm -hmm. is that the true reasons and interests tend to rise to the surface. And and once you're able to get into a truly honest place of, well, why do you really want that? Mm -hmm. You know, why... You know, let's go go back to the example I gave in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. If if the tenant had just gotten a lawyer and, and blocked this and and said, you know, you know, sent a, a mean letter saying, you know, we're, we're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna be pushed around, we're not gonna be told to move out, and and but there was never any question about, you know, what are your needs, mm-hmm. then that's where all the energy would have gone. But if you get to the why, and the why is, well, you know, she wants to move out in September, but. She doesn't know if, but it's dependent on whether she gets this job or not. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, how about we include in the agreement that this is contingent on whether she gets that job? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, that would satisfy the need. Mm-hmm. Right? But instead, what happens is when, when you adopt a fighting, you know, competitive stance from the outset, mm-hmm. what you end up hearing is a lot of arguments that are put out there because they, they may be a compelling argument. They're trying to win, mm-hmm. but the argument they're using is not the actual, doesn't actually represent their needs. 
So take, for example, mm-hmm. let's, look, let's, let's play with a contentious one like Point Melati. Mm-hmm. Okay, you want to get into all sorts of mess of different perspectives. Mm-hmm. There, there's kind of some different extremes going on there. But let's take, for example, one argument um, that people have had against the, the, the deal that was recently killed mm-hmm. uh, in Point Melati was that, you know, there was going to be some housing built out there. Mm-hmm. But some people argue that it was, you know, luxury housing. Mm-hmm. But what we really need is affordable housing. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the folks on that side would would say things like, you know, there's only one way in and out. There's only one street in and out. So it's really dangerous. Not a good place to have housing. Mm-hmm. Right. But then all of a sudden, if you were to change that and say, oh, tell you what, let's just make it all affordable housing. Hmm. All of a sudden, they're not complaining about that one-way street anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like, was that really their reason, or did that? Th- were they just using that because they thought that w- that would be a good argument to win? Right, 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 just a justification. But but if you can get to the underlying interest, why yeah. is it that you're against or for this? Yeah, and it's not, not about the street. Well, okay, it, let's talk about the street. Is oh, so you're concerned about safety? Okay, well, what's unsafe? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, there's that that look at that big oil tank at the top of the hill. Oh, d- did you realize that that tank you see from Point Melody Beach, that's actually a water tank? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Right. So when everybody is honest about their perspectives, mm-hmm. it's amazing how, how solutions just naturally start to come forward. They do. They emerge from that letting go of the survival instinct or the fear. Mm-hmm. And being deeply heard, by the way, will will get people behind you. I, I know that for a fact. Because to be, to be deeply heard, and sometimes people need to be, it has to be drawn out of them. They mm-hmm. don't even know what the voice is, right? It, there's so many layers and so many, we have so many veils within ourselves blocking even what it, it, our own truth is. Just somebody, somebody who drawing out your voice from you is such a gift. That, that once that's happened in your life, it's, it's almost life-altering, right, to be deeply heard. Mm-hmm. And so um, this is why I would love to see you be mayor, actually, because, you know, you, you're, I do honestly believe you want to deeply hear the voice of Richmond and deeply get behind that voice. But, and this is your problem, you also want to deeply hear the other the other side, no matter how small a minority that is. Well, let me say it a little bit differently, Declan. The other side is also the voice of Richmond. There you go. See, I even right? fell into the trap myself. You know, there. And, and, and I challenge it. Look, there is, there's not a single person out there that I would not welcome to the table. Now, that's going to offend some people to say. But I want you to hear me out because yeah. th- this is what I do professionally. Okay, I, I'm at my best yeah. when... Folks come to the table who see things differently. And, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, so Andrew Butt and I were at a, uh, an event, at the same event a, a mm-hmm. few weeks ago. Yeah. And we both uh, spoke. And, you know, a- Andrew's candidacy is a little bit, um, a little bit more, uh, let's just say, controversial. Well, maybe not. Um, but he, he doesn't pull punches. Like, he, he, you know, Andrew's coming with a bit of a different style and, and, and he's, he's, uh, self-admittedly, right. And, not, and, and so well, I'll just put it this way. We're at this event and I was talking about, you know, my background mm-hmm. and, you know, and peace building and collaborative problem solving and inviting mm-hmm. everyone to the table. And, 
And, you know, Andrew stood up and he said, well, you know, Sean might be a peace builder, but I'm a fighter, mm-hmm. you know, and I got a kick out of that. And, and then when I got a chance to speak later, I made it clear, you know what? All fighters are welcome. <laughs> right. Right. That, that, that's not um, a problem in my book. Right. Because what I'm saying is as your mayor, you're not going to see me co-opted to one side or the other, but all fighters come to the table, please. Yes. Andrew, step up. Right. Right. Claudia, step up. Mm -hmm. Gail, step up. You know, Oscar, step up. Like, actually, one fantasy I have is imagine all the candidates out there right now. Let's just say we all somehow got elected. I mean, you know, it's not going to happen. It doesn't work that way. Okay. But I would love to see, you know, uh, Andrew and Caesar and, and Oscar and Corky and uh, Doria and Sohela and Jamin and Eduardo and Nat and yes, even Mark Wasberg. I would like to see them all at one table. And the job that I'm running for is to manage that table. Right. Because yeah. if we could come to an agreement that would satisfy that cast of characters, yes. just imagine that it's probably an agreement that's going to satisfy just about everybody. You, you've got a, another long, hard month ahead of you. Let's just talk about some of the stuff you did that, mm-hmm. again, I, I just thought was, was great and very impressive. Is you ran every street in Richmond, right? Yes. So I hit the ground running, yes. literally. Literally. And I, I started running and running. And put, you know, I put on this T-shirt that said, you're Richmond, your voice. And I just started tracking my GPS tracks to make sure I'm going everywhere. And I, I set the goal of going to every single residential street in Richmond. Yeah. I've done that. I actually surpassed that goal months ago. And I kept running. Uh-huh. I'm up to 400. And, as of today, I'm over 450 miles uh-huh. of running through every single neighborhood. Meeting people. I've met over 4,000 people somewhere between, based on how many cards I've handed. Because every time I run into someone, I give them my card. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I've met over... Yeah, somewhere between four to 5,000 people in mm-hmm. every single neighborhood, all walks of life. And when I say all walks of life, I'm talking, do you, do you just picture anybody out there? Right. And I've spent hours talking to these folks. And you know, there, there are a few, very few exceptions. There's some gated communities where, you know, I decided to follow the rules. I didn't, you know, I didn't sneak in or jump the gate. Okay. <laughs> but, sure. but I did meet some dog walkers outside of them. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I've. I've been everywhere in this sprawling city of, of 30 square miles of land. And, and in doing that, I'm sure you ask people what they want. Oh, what, yeah. what did you discover? So I would run up to someone. I'd run up and, and, and you know, with my card extended. Of course, you just love watching the, the, the body language shift. You know, like right. someone's, the, the look on their face is like, oh, what are you selling me? You know, yeah. and I run up and say, hey, I'm, I'm Sean. I'm running for mayor of Richmond. And Virtually without exception. I mean, of the thousands of people I did that to, there's maybe two or three that just looked away. It's like, no, I don't want to talk. Like, okay, you know, maybe they're just having a bad day or whatever. Sure. No big deal. I keep going. But overwhelming majority, they kind of stop. Their body language shifts. They're like, oh, oh, really? Why? You know, and depending on the mood, I would say, oh, well, you know, walking would take too long. Yeah. (laughs) My my lame dad joke for the morning. But actually, in all seriousness, it's true. If you think about, um, just a quick aside here, consider the logistics of this. If you were to do door knocking, which is very traditional, in one hour of door knocking, maybe you talk to 10 people. Because a lot of it's standing around, seeing if they're going to come to the door or not. Mm -hmm. Or if they do, then they're interrupted. It's awkward. Not to say that you can't have some good conversations, but Mm -hmm. in terms of just output, like one hour you meet maybe 10 people 
in one block. Mm-hmm. Well, in one hour of running, mm-hmm. I typically would meet at least 10 people, yeah. oftentimes more. And in that time, I would cover 10 blocks. Yeah. So I didn't sacrifice how many people I met. I just covered the entire city doing it. Yeah, I love it. And, and you know, I was hoping that it demonstrated to people also how hard I'm willing to work. Yeah. And, and furthermore, how much I'm willing to go to places regardless of whether they're likely to support me or not. I mean, if you, if you follow, again, the experts, they say, hey, uh, you, you slice and dice the, the database and right. you focus all your effort where the you know, high density of most likely voters are. And hey, by the way, just ignore everybody else because they're not worth your time. You're right. Well, that goes against voting. every instinct in my body. And so I went everywhere. And you know what? And those 4,000 people I met, yeah. I never knocked on a door. Uh-huh. I never asked if somebody is a registered voter. Mm-hmm. I never asked for their vote. But what I did ask, and to come back to your question, I said, hey, if, if I get elected, what do you believe the priorities ought to be? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I had about 10 different ways of saying that, but basically mm-hmm. you, you tell me what's on your mind. What do you mm-hmm. want to have on my mind if I get elected or, or just what, what's important to you? What do you think needs to happen in Richmond? And I listened very deeply. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those, those encounters were, were 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they, they were 10 minutes. Oftentimes they were an hour or more. I, I mean, I just, imagine. I spent like seven or eight months doing nothing but that. Yeah. And there's no shortcut in listening. So I could tell you story after story after story, but in terms of just statistically, you know, I wish I'd had like a, a checklist or, or, you know, I, 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 I documented every single response, but I can tell you anecdotally yeah. that, um, there's a remarkable amount of agreement between people in every single neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, there, there are some areas, like if you go on like, like, uh, 23rd and 24th street, you're going to hear mm-hmm. a lot of people complaining about the prostitution challenges around okay. there. That's very micro specific. Sure. Um, you know, if, but generally speaking, it's fascinating. You know, one of the most common responses is has to do with the streets, street yeah. repair or garbage mm-hmm. blight. And that's, people talk about that everywhere. And mm-hmm. what's interesting is they're talking about it, even if it's not in their face. So you go up to you know, Carriage Hills, which is relatively new. It's very, you know, manicured. It's, it's you mm-hmm. know, it's an HOA kind of place. So that's, you know, they've got their own funding for, for keeping it looking nice and sure. all of that. But you still, I say, hey, what do you think the priorities in Richmond ought to be? And even up there, people say, oh, we got to clean things up. There's just, it's blight and it's garbage. And right. And so right. think about that. Yeah. Even though they're way out there. They're, they still carry the identity of Richmond and they know that if they drive down cutting or McDonald yeah. and they, and they see garbage everywhere that, yeah. that it's a problem. The things that I heard again and again and again, were truly about safety. Yeah. And you know, that, that's, that ranges from people directly saying we need more police or they're concerned that the police are not able to respond to right. things in time. But also it's just a general sense of, of, I mean, you know, I, I met this woman, she was over 80 years old. She's lived here all her life down on the, on the South side in the Santa Fe neighborhood, mm-hmm. kind of right, right down, uh, like not far from the freeway. Mm-hmm. And, and it just broke my heart to hear her say that, you know, she was out watering her, her, her garden in her front yard. And, mm-hmm. and she said, she just doesn't feel safe mm-hmm. to walk outside of her, her, the gate of her yard. Mm-hmm. And she talked about hearing about somebody being, you know, mugged just a few weeks prior. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she acknowledged that, sure, statistically, things are safer than they used to be. Mm -hmm. You know, there aren't the, the, you know, shootings every week, you know, that there used to be. It has changed. 
And, and so great, we should celebrate that. But you know what? At the end of the day, she still doesn't feel safe walking outside of her front yard. Right. And she's lived her all her life. You know, and it just it breaks my heart. Like, what would yeah. it take mm-hmm. to achieve a sense that anybody could just walk freely? Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's be realistic about it. I mean, this could be, this is a challenge anywhere in any urban place in, in, yep. in the country, in the world. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what would it take? Is it, is it police? I, I think it's very clearly understood that police are, in fact, a deterrent. And the more you see police around, the that generally the safer it is, but it's not a panacea. But mm-hmm. It's more than that. There's a question of how connected we are. Yeah. How well do you know your neighbors? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, do, does she know her neighbor, you know, well enough to the, Hey, you want to walk with me to the store? Mm-hmm. You know? So yeah. there's a lot of, you know, let's dig into this and really understand it. But, but re- regardless of what the solution is in terms of the perspectives, People talked about safety. They talked okay. about appearance, you know, how welcoming or not the environment is with mm-hmm. regard to trash and, 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 and that some of that's just garbage and litter floating through the street. Some of it's illegal dumping. Uh, but then there's a question of like just vegetation, like these mm-hmm. you know, trees that need to be trimmed back or, or the weeds that are, that are out of control. Um, you know, so there's a question about appearance. Uh, then people also talk about, you know, a lot of folks are concerned about homelessness. Yeah, that's a big, huge one. Yeah. And again, that's one of those things where whether it's in their face or not, they mm-hmm. care. And it's pretty much in your face. Let's face it. Well, it depends on where you are. Yeah, you I know, guess. to a degree, but it seems to be yeah. fairly bad everywhere. But it's a concern on, on virtually everyone's mind. And then, you know, you hear people talk about, we need more for our youth. We, we need to do more, you know, we need more yeah. youth programs. Mm-hmm. And when you dig into that, you find that, especially for a lot of lifelong residents, they they reminisce back to the days when there was a lot more like youth sports, uh, yeah. football and, and baseball. And we do have some, but apparently not as much as there used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, and we do have some really cool programs in town that, that do support youth. But, you know, there's a question of how how scaled out are they? Do they serve all the youth of Richmond? Yeah. You know, yeah. and so, you know, these are the issues that come up. People, of course, talk about, you know property taxes that are out of control. People talk about the concerns with education. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's only so much we can do with regard to what happens inside the walls of the schools, because mm-hmm. that's a different school that, you know, that's their own West Contra Costa mm-hmm. school district. But, you know, we could be partnering with the schools around, you know, safety and after school programs. And whatnot. Yeah. So of all these hundreds of miles that you've run and thousands of people that you've met, um, how often did the issue of Point Melati come up? Uh, it, I would, uh, let's see on, on the list of all the top topics, I would, I would put it probably as like maybe the, the 10th, you know, or eighth, but, but it, it did come up. Well, I, no, I was just curious because it, it, it wasn't the first thing you mentioned, but yet when I look to, when I look to most politics nowadays, you know, it, it all boils down to these massive issues like that. And there, and, 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 and you, it doesn't take long to understand why. People feel, you know, somewhat um, disinterested in politics because the conversations about something other than what most people are interested in seeing get repaired or renewed, right? Yeah. Well, what's interesting about that is occasionally I would run into someone who just, I'd say, hey, what, what should the priorities be? And they say, oh, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I'm not really, I don't know what's going on. I'm not. But if they still seemed open to talk, I would go ahead and pitch a few things like, so, yeah. you know, what are your thoughts about, you know, the police? What are your thoughts about homelessness? What are your thoughts about Point Milade? And I was surprised to find that a lot of people, even lifelong residents who have been here 50, 60, 70 years, 
didn't even know what point melody was. Right. That doesn't surprise <laughs> me at all. But th- those who do, but then there are some, and they're very passionate about it. Yeah. And what I did find is, for example, unlike the police funding fiasco, yeah. which it's very, very clearly stark, uh, just absolute clear that the overwhelming majority of residents in Richmond uh, wish for more police services. Yeah. When it comes to Point Melati, I found it quite divided. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, why wouldn't it be divided? Yeah. It's it. There's no there's no solution offered by anybody other than you need to take a side. That's the solution. You take a side, and that's it. That's your option. Well, and you look at the last twenty five years, and what has that done for us? Yeah. Right. N- nothing but millions of dollars lost to litigation because nobody has been able to build enough consensus. Yeah. And, and, and it takes away from what the real needs of the city are from the people you heard, which is, you know, making, creating a safe environment citywide with cleaner streets. Let's do those things. Let's concentrate there first. Right. Well, yeah. So let, you know, this it begs the question really of what's the purpose of of an elected leader is it to bring your ideas forth and impose your will on the people or to serve the will of the people mm-hmm. and i believe it's the latter and i think ultimately at the end of the day a city government exists to take care of the city not to you know get rid of capitalism mm-hmm. not to promote you know environmental policy not that i'm not that i'm against environmental policy that's not my point i'm i'm all for let's do everything we can yeah. to make sure that you know we all have clean air to breathe and and water to drink and mm-hmm. and let's make sure you know industry is is being held in check and not polluting mm-hmm. yes yes absolutely course. but can we please just start with taking care of our basic human needs first is it connected yes yeah, connected yeah. but where do you put the priority yeah. Again, I don't want to put this as a false dichotomy because it's not. All of these things are important. Yeah. But if you look at my platform, it's a direct reflection of what I heard from meeting with 4,000 people. Yeah. And I'm not going to be, I'm not going to stand up there and say, oh, what you want doesn't matter. I'm going to right. go ahead and push what I think you should right. be thinking about. Right. So that's why my, my platform, which I developed after <laughs> listening to all these people, not before, right. uh, came down to safe, clean, and fair. You know, that's what people want. Now, listen, you were, because we're, we need to start wrapping up here. Mm-hmm. I know you've got things to do. Um, you recently uh, took some visits to other states or took a visit to some uh, Texas. And what was the purpose of the visit? This was a very interesting. I, I really want to hear about this. Well, so one of the, the big challenges we have in Richmond and regionally is this homelessness epidemic. Yeah. And I've spent hours interacting directly with with folks that are currently living on the streets uh-huh. uh, over at Ryden Road, over at Castro, under bridges and, and various nooks and crannies around town. And it's, it's a very troubling, concerning problem that we have to deal with. And I don't believe at all that there is some simple solution. Right. But you can't help but wonder what would it take. And especially after interacting with someone personally and hearing their story, um, the the stories are all different. Mm -hmm. Nobody has the exact same story. There are some common threads. Most of them, it's it's some sort of a crisis of of family or being disconnected that leads to it one way or another. Mm -hmm. Um, I've heard from multiple people in Richmond who've lived here all their lives and then their parents' home uh, 
was either foreclosed on or, or, or sold, but then some sibling from out of state took it and they weren't, you know, there's all these, these, these messy stories, but all of a sudden someone goes from having, you know, shelter and security to being literally on the streets mm. and it's heartbreaking mm-hmm. and you got to wonder what we can do about it. And, 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 but when you ask people, well, so what would it take, you know, mm. or, or, Hey, I heard the County was providing anyone who wanted shelter, you know, shelter. Mm-hmm. And then they tell you things like, yeah, but I don't want to be in a room somewhere by myself in the middle of nowhere. Mm. Like, Oh yeah, you, you need community who doesn't. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, or you say, or I'll say, well, is that shelter? What about the one on McDonald? What? Oh, well, yeah, they'll give you a bed at night, but then they kick you out during the day. Mm. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, or you ask someone else, well, could you go to a shelter with that help? And they say, yeah, but they won't let me take my dog. Mm. Or, you know, you hear stories about people, you know, being turned away because of, of drugs and alcohol and, mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And, and anyway, there's all these different reasons, but, but so I, on, on a lot of things you'll hear me say, look, we need to get to the table and figure this out. And this is definitely one of them, mm-hmm. but I also could not help, but look into it a little bit myself. And I came upon an example of a, a program in that, that could be something really mind blowing. So th- there's this uh, documentary that's been getting around lately called beyond homelessness. Okay. And it looks at the, the epidemic in San Francisco mm-hmm. And, you know, why has, you know, it it poses the question, you know, why has housing first kind of failed this idea that if we just house people, then everything works out. Right. And, you know, it's failed because all the resources just go into housing, but then people don't have all that support they need from whether it be mental health, drug support, uh, job training, placement, community, you know, all these different basic human needs that we all have. It's not, you can't just simply put a roof over someone's house, over someone's head and expect all the problems to be solved. So, and then this documentary ends with this, this example of um, a place in Texas, in San Antonio, called Haven for Hope. And it's, it's all of these things. It's immediate shelter, emergency, off the street right now, show up with a dog, great, they've got a kennel. You're high on drugs, whatever. They've got a detox unit right there. The, um, you, you, know, you don't want to be kicked out on a time limit, hey, stay as long as you need. You know, all all these aspects to it. And it, it seemed too good to be true, frankly. Right, yeah, it sounds... But I found myself talking about it all the time. I found myself just, you know, in the streets talking to people about homelessness and, and sharing this example that, you know, 12 years ago, San Antonio and San Francisco had the same level of homelessness. Yeah. And now we've we've doubled around here and they've gone down there. Interesting. So, right? it's very you know, compelling. clearly... So anyway, I found myself talking about this all the time and I just got this bug in my stomach. It's like, you know, I, I feel like I should see it for myself before I keep pushing it. Right. Yeah. I totally get that. Yeah. So I actually got on the phone and what, you know, ended up talking to one of their directors and they invited me out. And so I, I went out on a red eye, Yeah. <laughs> you know, I got on the plane at midnight in San Francisco and showed up in Austin. Yeah. I checked out a place in Austin as well called the community first village. Okay. Which I can talk about. But then I drove down to San Antonio and I toured this place. Yeah. And you know what? It's for real. Wow. It's for real. And I was astonished, absolutely astonished by the statistics uh, that I heard. I mean, they serve 7,000 people a year. Yeah. The average cost is only $26 per person per day. Mm. Uh, The average stay 
is four months. Mm. And at the end of when people leave there, mm-hmm. they claim a 92% success rate mm. such that someone who leaves there a year later is still housed. Amazing. And, you know, read any of the news stories recently from around the Bay Area, and you're lucky if you get 10 or 15% success. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really abysmal. And, you know, the cost is, is minuscule compared to how much we're really spending system-wide. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I came back completely, completely inspired by that. I haven't had a chance to really come up for air and, yeah. and talk about it much, but, um, you know, I have a direct line of communication to these folks. Yeah. Um, I, you know, when the opportunity arises to get into it in more detail, I'll be talking about it more. Yeah. But I, I think there's something to be learned from it's that. It's very exciting and hopeful. Yeah. And, and that there's a model available that's working and we don't need to reinvent the wheel. If something works, we should, we should learn from it and promote it. Meanwhile, here in Richmond, we've got like multiple task forces ostensibly working on, on the issue. And I don't mean no disrespect for the people spending their, their, their time and, and their heart in this. Sure. But I'm sorry. It's just, it's not effective. Yeah. And it's not effective because we're not collaborating with all the stakeholders. What have I not covered here that that you would, you know, regret not having said on the podcast? And take as long. This is where you can take a pause. <laughs> you know, Declan. One challenge is is I think it's fair to someone to say, "Well, Sean, that's all great. That sounds good. It's all talk, but you know, prove it." Yeah. You know, and I and it, it begs the question of trust. Yeah. And I, you know, the the challenge here is I I am asking people to trust me. And I, I realize that's a big ask. I do. Because I think what most people would say is, oh, sure, that sounds good, but. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, of course it'd be great if we get, but. Mm-hmm. And so, I, yeah, I'm asking people to take a risk. But in, in, at the same time, I'm saying, what are the alternatives? You know, it's basically the choice between me or someone who is, has experience on our city council. And I guess my point to that would be, if you like the way things are going, then don't vote for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> vote for a politician. If right. you're willing to try something else, what do you have to lose? If you're worried that I'm, this is a bait and switch and that really I'm some hardliner with some position that I'm going to sneak in like a Trojan horse, yeah. well, just don't forget that I'm only one-seventh of the vote. Right. And by the way, there's a very high likelihood that the, the majority that's controlling the council now will continue controlling the council. Right. So my vote in that regard will have no effect. So if you're, if you're putting your time into trying to figure out whether I'm friend or foe, mm-hmm. just keep in mind that whether I'm friend or foe with regard to your positions, mm-hmm. it probably will have no practical effect. So the practical effect that I can bring to our city council is to hold the space in such a way that all voices are truly welcome. I've said that so much Mm-hmm. Uh, it's now became the meme. You know, people are making fun of me that I, that, you know, and that I want to invite everyone to the table. Well, great. If that's the greatest criticism, you can, you know, Sean's too nice. He wants to invite everyone to the table. Okay. Right. But it's true. And, you know, oh, I think hate, of, you know what I hate that I hate that it's being confused with you being too nice. Yeah. Well, it, it, but that's okay. I mean, it, it, but still, people are very supportive of it. So I'm, I'm not worried. I mean, that, those are the naysayers. Those are the people yeah. that, are, that are afraid of, you know, if they do lose the majority. Yeah. But what I want them to know, even though they're probably going to stay in the majority, what I want them to know is you're safe with me. 
because this is not a bait and switch. The values, like we all share most of the values that are most important to us. Mm -hmm. This is a question of how we get from here to there. And I'm not trying to run anybody out of town. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and let me give you a quick example of of how this has sometimes actually worked against me. You know, I I, I mentioned how I'm not going after endorsements, right? It's just Mm -hmm. not how I'm spending my time. Mm -hmm. But with that said, if somebody invites me to talk, to an interview, I'll go. I, I go wherever I'm invited. I'll answer mm-hmm. any question given to me. Yeah. And so the, you know, the, the Building Trades Council wanted to uh, interview me to see if they were going to endorse me. Mm-hmm. And so we did it. And uh, I thought I did really well. I, I explained my, you know, they could tell that I knew how the you know, unions work and what a PLA is. And, and you know, you know, the head guy basically said, Sean, you'd be a great mayor. You know, we, we'd, be, we'd love to have you. And, um, so I thought, okay, I did well. And so I find out a couple of days later, I get a phone call and, and, uh, and he says, Hey, uh, so we're, you know, we're going to, we're going to go with the other guy, you know, we're going to, we're going to go with Nat. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, well, you know, he's always been good to us. <laughs> and of course mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking that my, my thought bubble is looking at the dictionary, you look up quid pro quo, you know, mm-hmm. he's always been good to us, but <laughs> whatever, that's fine. It's like, I get it. Look, I understand. That's how it works. No hard feelings. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it did have in the back of my mind that he had told me that they could dual endorse. They could endorse us both. Mm. But they chose not to. Anyway, I didn't think much of it until that night I learned that they endorsed every single non-RPA candidate except me. They endorsed Andrew and Caesar. They endorsed Corky and Oscar. They endorsed Sohela. And... And, and yeah. so, the, you know, logically, it's like, oh, that's that's interesting. Yeah. What's up with that? Because I'm most certainly not an RPA candidate. Right. I've been very outspoken against the RPA, not because of their values, but because of their tactics, I, because okay. of, of doing things without appearing to listen or involve anyone who sees things differently. Sure. Like so, this newspaper I got. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I follow up with this guy. I'm like, I'm just curious, like, how do I not take this as some sort of message? Like, what, what, what's up with that? You know, yeah. not that I need the endorsement or, or necessarily, but, but what's going on? Yeah, you want to investigate the gaming of it. Yeah. And, and so he says, hey, look, Sean, when you told these guys, you know, referring to his committee, oh, let me back up. He, he, he said, hey, look, these guys, you know, referring to his committee, hate the RPA so much that when you dared say that you would invite them to the table, hmm. they just couldn't stomach it. Uh-huh. And I just thought, well, gee, mm-hmm. okay, I, you know what? I think I'm proud not to have your endorsement. That's fine. Mm-hmm. And I said, by the way, hey, you still get a seat at the table with me if I get elected because that's the way I operate. Yes. Everybody does. Yeah. And, and it's like, you know, that, and, and that's a good illustration of why I'm not wasting my time playing this endorsements game. Right. You know, it's all an insider game. The average person out there doesn't care about those endorsements. Yes. The average resident yes. on the street doesn't know who they are. No, you know what it. they're interested in because you run Thank the you very streets. much. Yes. And, yes. I get yeah. that. Okay. Um, if somebody were... You strike me as the kind of person, being that being that your interest is not necessarily politics, but in conflict resolution, you're skilled and trained. I keep getting back to that because that's that's a very important. This is not some, uh, you know, some, you know, personal mission. This is really like coming from a place of great education. So if somebody wanted to understand you better, I would imagine that understanding three important books in your life would be very, very useful. 
Yeah, that's a great one. I think for the fundamentals, if this is all just totally foreign, a good book that's an easy read for anybody, uh, you know, this this came out in like the early 1980s. It's called Getting to Yes mm-hmm. by Fisher and Urey. So that that's that's kind of a good fundamental baseline for understanding, you know, interest-based negotiating and why you can, you don't have to think through a lens of you or me, but maybe there's a way we can find it to work for you and me. Mm-hmm. So that would be, that would be a good starting point. Mm-hmm. Another book would be a long walk to freedom by Nelson Mandela. Mm-hmm. And I warn you, it's a very long book. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> you can skim it, but there you see the arc of the, 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 the life of a, of a person who went through uh, a, a somewhat militant advocate mindset phase yeah. where the, where the perspective was in order for these needs to be met, we must win at all costs, including fighting violently mm-hmm. to ultimately becoming a leader of a divided South Africa <laughs> in a way that, that unified people like never before. Mm-hmm for the same reasons that I'm talking about. Right. And so you, you see in real life that, that transition. And then another one, and I could, I could list a bunch. Uh, I would go back to my mentor, John Lewis. Uh huh. And, uh, he, he wrote a book, uh, across that bridge. Um, and if you don't know the reference, it's it's referring to the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. Okay, sure. Where I on know that bridge, uh, yeah. March 1965, John Lewis was nearly beat to death simply because he was leading a, a peaceful march mm-hmm. to Montgomery to ask for the right to vote. Mm-hmm. How can people find you and how can people get um, useful, usable, fair information. Is such a thing even possible? So first of all, how can people find you? Tell us all your various online. You can call me Mm -hmm. at 510-404-3433. There's that. That's my number. Okay. I put that on all the literature. I put that on the door hangers on my card. And people do call me. Okay. So seriously, don't be afraid just to call. Okay. If I can't answer, I'll call you back. Give Sean a call. Uh, I do have a website. It's Dunning for that's F O R Dunning for Richmond.com. And it's a pretty good overview. You'll see, you know, all the basics. There's also a section called notes where I've written various articles on things like, for example, an explanation of my position on uh, police funding. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a platform statement on there that starts with high level values around mm-hmm. safe, clean, and fair, but then goes into you know paragraphs on every single topic. Mm-hmm. Some people might not know about this because early on I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. And so they think, oh, all Sean does is listen. But no, I listened and now I've reflected back and I have been clear about my positions. So go check out the platform and, and you know you want to know where I stand on Point Milate? Read it. You want it? So that's all there. Uh-huh. Um, but, and if, some, if somebody wants to meet with me, it's crunch time right now i don't have a lot of time but i will try to make that time and we can meet for coffee or you know whatever Uh so i am very reachable i'm very approachable um and you know who i love to hear from the most are are the skeptics you know it's it's great to you know i've got lots of supporters and they're wanting to tell me why this is all great but you know if you're on the fence and you're not sure and you just have a question call me up 
Yeah. You know, and, and do I want you to ultimately support me? Well, yeah, of course yeah. I do, but yeah. I'll respect whatever decision you make. I just hope it's an informed one. So please call me up and we'll talk. Sean Dunning, thank you very, very much. Take care of yourself and I will be just watching as closely as anybody else and see how this race turns out for all of us residents of Richmond. Hopefully there'll be a good outcome that works in favor of the majority. Thank you, Declan. Looking forward to that. Thank you.